Welcome to episode 67 of the Half Point for Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Riggs, joined as always by my co-host, Dalton Willie, and producer, Johnny Pam. I don't know if you guys noticed, if you're on the YouTube, that, that countdown was like a lot slower sounding than usual. Is it, it was, that just makes? I was going to ask what was going on there. It, it, was, it was a little slow, the punch, almost like Johnny making it to the show, a solid 20 minutes late today. Uh, I was not 20 minutes late. I was late, <laughs> took a nap, hands up, I took a nap, I apologize. For absolutely nothing. But you know how accurate Fine Friends is? This is a little creepy, by the way. I knew you were about ready to be on because we were just like, all right, I'm going to check and make sure he's even home. So we did, and you were home. I was like, all right, let me check. I look, and I was kind of looking. I was like, oh, it looks like Johnny's like on his porch. I was like, oh, no, wait. He literally just walked into his office. And then like a minute later, there you were. Like I could literally see where you were in your house. And now that I've been there, I know where your things are. And that's great. <laughs> but I was asleep the whole time. I don't know how to explain this. Besides, I woke up in a frantic. I was like, oh, boy. I definitely slept past through the alarm. Because, um, yeah, I, I apologize for nothing. It's all good. It's all good. I appreciate the non-apology. Through the slow <laughs> countdown, through Johnny being late, we are here. And we are here, Dalton, to talk a little bit of NFL draft. We're not going to pretend to be like draft experts, but we, we consume our, our fair amount of content, I, I'd say, uh, on the subject. And it, most people, when, when they're covering draft hardcore, they're covering it from a NFL draft perspective. And there are a lot of people that do dynasty perspective and talk about a lot of the guys. What we're going to do here today is focus on a, a very select few. We've got top five running backs and top five receivers. Not our rankings, to be clear. These are from Establish the Run. So uh, being a little bit coy here intentionally, we still have a rookie draft in our league that's coming up. Don't want to give away our ranks uh, necessarily and how we feel about certain guys in comparison to others. But we will at least talk about these, these five guys um, at each position, and that will give away at least a little bit how we feel and, of course, give you guys some information on those prospects. Dalton, anything to add before we jump right in here? No, I'm incredibly excited. Um, like you said, we've been doing a little bit or a lot of bit of research when it comes to the NFL draft. Uh, one thing I've realized, because this is probably the first year I've really dug into it before landing spots, mm -hmm. um, is that I don't think there is a consensus across the board, at least with this draft, on most players except for like two or three, which is incredibly frustrating when you're trying to catch on. Well, and especially at running back, I I actually have probably – this is around my usual time of starting the podcast cycle and, and reading cycle of, of specific people. And this is the biggest difference of opinion I've ever seen at running back once you get past, like, really the top two. Like, a lot of people have the same third, but there are a lot of people that have a different third. But, like, there's a guy who could be – sixth on one really smart person's rank who is legitimately like 24th on another really smart person's rank who I like rely on them year in year out for, on these prospects and they're usually like not an exact agreement but like usually they're kind of on the same page like not that far but that's like that six to like in the 20s is what we're looking at for a lot of these running backs here 
Well, and I mean, just as an example, uh, PFF has Damon Pierce as RB4 in this draft, and ETR, whose rankings we're using, has him as the RB13. I yep. mean, and, and so a, we're not, and so we're not talking about him. I mean, I think the athletic has him as the RB6, so kind of right in the middle. And yeah, I've seen him all, all over the place as well. Yeah, there's just the evaluation of this draft, and it does feel like a weaker draft for a lot of the offensive prospects. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been all over the place, and I've tried to find a consensus on even on which we'll talk to you about here in a bit, but the wide receiver group, I think there have been three guys who have been the quote unquote consensus number one since at February. least at yeah. least I, I think it actually might be like like four. I, I think yeah. and 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 one of them we're not even talking about today because he's not in established the runs top five and then that's Chris Olave. But he's uh some people's number one overall prospect. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's just how crazy it is. And I know George Pickens is another guy we're not talking about today who some people have said <laughs> deserves to be a top five guy. Uh, yep. That's been a, a head-scratching and frustrating roller coaster of emotions for me. Uh, if anybody wants to dive into the George Pickens profile and tell me if he's good or not good, it would be greatly appreciated because I'm out on that one. All right, so we'll start at running back, Dalton. We'll start with the guy who I think is the most common RB1 among rankers. Um and that's Brees Hall out of Iowa State. He's not even 21 yet. I'm going to let you go ahead and give your Brees Hall take. I'm going to pull up a little Brees Hall highlight to, to pull up on the stream to show the people. Um, out of every position player in this draft, I think Brees Hall needs to go 101 unless you're in a super flex. Then there's an argument for Malik Willis. But, I mean, this guy has a consistent body of work. Is a freshman, he had 1,140 yards, which was 28% of his team's offense. Then, as a sophomore, he had 1,766, which was 35%. Mm-hmm. And then his junior year, he had 1,743, which was 37%. And in this class, he's number one in career yards a game, which is 129. He's by far the best prospect in this draft. Um, his offensive shares compared to guys like Jonathan Taylor and Christian McCaffrey aren't as good. They were both at 46 and 45%, but 37% puts him in the top 18 of running backs drafted in the first five rounds in the last four years. So he definitely has the ability to be a quote unquote generational talent. I know everybody is a generational talent before they're drafted. It, it, but- it, it can't be a generational talent if we say it every year. I'm just, <laughs> just going to get that out of the way early. A generational talent is a quite literally once in a generation talent, which means like every like 15 years, like 10 years, something but like that. But he definitely could be a generational talent. And uh, he's definitely a guy that you will love on your fantasy team and could be productive for six years and you'll be happy with your pick. Yeah. And like, it's not even 21 yet. So he'll be 21 when the season starts. I, I think he's going to be an immediate starter, assuming he doesn't get drafted by a team that like had, like, for example, he took a visit to the commanders. Like if the commanders some reason drafted them. Yeah. Probably not an immediate starter, but most other places like, yeah, that, that guy's going to start right away. He's got great burst, great footwork. He's a really good cutter can operate in small spaces. And you kind of see, all of that in this beginning clip here that I'm playing. He's got the vision, got the cut, can make it to the outside. He's not like the quickest 40 guy in the world, but he's got good enough speed, obviously. And he, I, I don't know if I'd say he's the most, maybe he, do you think he's the most complete back? Like between he and Kenneth Walker, which one of those two do you think is the more complete back? 
Well, so it's funny because I was looking today, and when it comes to every carry uh, inside the zone, a zone run, gap scheme, outside runs, Kenneth Walker graded better in his one year at Michigan State. Mm -hmm. But the complete, I mean, it really comes around to receiving. I there don't you think... can really see the cut right there if you're watching this on the YouTube, by the way. Yeah. That, that last one, I'll play it again. I just think the the issue is Kenneth Walker didn't get the opportunity to catch, and so we don't know if he's going to get that in the NFL. And mm-hmm. that probably is why Brees Hall is a consensus, especially among fantasy guys, as the overall, overall number one. Um, but, yeah, he probably has the most complete skill set. Uh, it's funny. He ran a 4-3-9 at his pro day, which everybody was amazed by. Yeah, every, every, everybody was running 4 threes at their pro days this yeah. year. I was going to say, uh, when it comes to speed this year, I don't think we can trust a single one of no. the the combine numbers. It was the fastest combine for every single positional group except quarterback this year. So I just think they have a new timer in place. And, I mean, Jalen Peter, that safety ran like a 4-2-9. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I think Brees is really good. I think he's the RB1 in this class if I had to choose between the two. I do think, and we'll get to Kenneth Walker in a minute, I think it's really close, though. I I think you could make the argument for Walker. I think he's actually the more complete rusher right now. And it's funny, Brees, I I would say one of the things that that people will nitpick about him is his pass catching. But if you, like, look up – just look up Brees Hall highlights on Twitter. He's got one-handed catch, and a couple of the other groups uh, come off of catches. So, like, he can catch the ball. And I, I think he will catch the ball in the NFL. He's just inconsistent at that right now. Um, some of the technique stuff, and he'll need to get better at that. And he's he's just not as fast as Kenneth Walker, just like a straight 40, I, I don't think, either. At least, like, on, maybe not straight 40. I don't know what their actual 40 times are. But, like, although Walker's a 4-3-8, so I have to imagine that's a tad faster. But just on, on the field, I think Walker has more of that big play. But Brees does a lot more. He's, he's a more powerful back. He's bigger. More, more of a specimen. Just, I think Brees Hall is a really good player. And I'm I'm with you that if you're not in a super flex, and maybe even if you are, I think this is the favorite to go number one overall in all rookie drafts, unless the landing spot is a disaster like the commanders. Yeah. And the last thing, when it comes just to Walker and Hall, I probably feel a little more confident about Hall because uh, Walker didn't play very well at Wake Forest. And I mean, I'm, not, I'm not so sure. I'm not sure I'd say that. He didn't play. Okay, he didn't play at the level he played at Michigan yes. State. To yes, and, and he wasn't. And he wasn't uh, Brees Hall uh, level uh, from like if you look at their twenty twenties. He yeah. played seven games, but also here's what I'll say that we as KU football fans should be aware of when you're looking at players on bad teams like Khalil Herbert. Not so good at KU, partially because the coaches giving Puka Williams the ball a lot, which he should have got the ball a lot, but also like. His team was garbage. So, he, you know, you've got to kind of take that into account as well, I think, with Kenneth Walker. Yeah, but I, it's not like Iowa State was a, a gleaming program of success. For the no, but they're better, they're, they're, they're better than Wake Forest. Absolutely, yeah. Wow, I just saw the tweet about Lawrence Arnold transferring. <laughs> now I'm sad. And yes, that, I feel like he kind of fits the, the mold of once he chances away, he, he could be pretty good. And now yeah, I'm may, sad maybe he's gone. I think Lawrence Long was a true freshman, so maybe on our 2024 draft class uh, <laughs> dynasty show, we'll we'll get a a Lawrence Arnold mentioned late, I'll, like I'll uh, for him. Kwame Lasseter, uh last pick yeah. of your fantasy drafts might not be a bad call. Yeah, could be a good slot guy. Yeah. All right, Dalton. So Kenneth Walker. Um, 
we noticed this actually when we were looking at the ages of of all these guys. He's going to be 22 when the season starts. He's 21 right now. These top guys are about the only quote unquote young uh, prospects, uh, basically until you get to guys who may not even be drafted in this class. So Walker is still pretty young. He'll be 22 when the season starts. 1,600 rushing yards last season. Only 19 receptions his entire college career. 13 of those came last year for 89 yards. With him, I would caution. I'm not saying like I know for a fact he's a great pass catcher, but I wouldn't like count him out just because he had 13 receptions at Michigan State. Because a lot of times in college, guys just don't catch the ball because they don't get targeted as running backs. That's just not how their offense works. And college offenses are very much a systematic thing a lot of the time so it's unproven i guess i would say for walker right now don't know for sure that he can or cannot catch the ball but he hasn't proven it yet obviously it's funny with him he is a, a physical specimen in his own right but he's just much more compact than Brees hall he's five nine he's like a he's like a doug martin type of of build like a like a josh jacobsy type of build at least just like little little bowling ball type of guy he is probably the most explosive like lateral agility guy in this draft of any of the running backs he's got the long speed but like where he really is set apart as a rusher and he is the best pure rusher right now in this class is his vision and just his ability and his vision his instincts as a runner and his ability to to make guys miss with with cuts i i think kenneth walker is really good i think breesaw probably has more upside but like boy I'm feeling pretty good about Kenneth Walker as a top top three pick in in dynasty drafts. I think. Yeah, I I like him a lot. Thirty seven percent of the offense ran through Brees Hall. Forty two percent of Michigan State's ran through Kenneth Walker. So in his one season as a true alpha, he really did run a lot closer to those guys like Jonathan Taylor and Christian McCaffrey. Uh, and I mean, the receiving thing, I'm not going to give him a big knock on. They mm-hmm. have a scat back in Michigan State in Hayward, who kind of came in on those those situational downs and played that role. Uh, obviously, you want him to land somewhere where the coaching staff is going to give him that. And I wouldn't give him a lock on that if there's a, a scat back in the receiving room. Uh, but if he goes somewhere like Houston, I would be pretty excited because, I mean, they don't have anybody on the market to take the, those away from him. Yeah. The thing with Kenneth Walker is, like you said, he's definitely the better running back with vision. Uh, Brees Hall is probably more elusive in the secondary, but Kenneth Walker, he just hits hard, and he has that prototypical NFL size where he's small to the ground and kind of runs with a low center of gravity, and that's exactly what you want. He's also, and I think this is unlike Brees Hall, probably a better gimme for getting the red zone work and getting you those touchdowns, which we all know we care about in fantasy because mm-hmm. he's just a little bit bigger and a little bit more of a bruiser. You can see in this tweet here, uh, 4.46 yards after contact per attempt, which was fourth. I don't know if that's fourth in the country. I'm going to assume that probably is because that that that's pretty pretty gaudy, quite frankly. And you can see it in the clip why. I mean, he, he's tough to bring down. He make, makes a couple guys miss. And even after he uh, the guys make initial contact, he, he gets a couple more yards on this play. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty big Kenneth Walker fan, uh, to be frank. I think – he is probably – I would say he is the safer bet than Brees Hall is what I would say. I would say Brees Hall has more upside. I would say Kenneth Walker is the safer bet to be a good NFL player. Yeah, my concern comes with draft capital and exactly how far they let Walker 
fall I, into I think the second. I, I, but I think he's get. They're both. They're. It's either going to be late first or second for Brees, and I think it's going to be second for Kenneth Walker. I don't think that's like mar like that big of a difference. I do too, but it's the NFL draft, and when you get to that second round, I mean, who knows? Some of these guys could have someone that we might talk about later, like Rashad White, higher on their boards than Kenneth Walker. I'd be surprised, but the Raiders do have a second round pick. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the one thing I did want to mention um, with Kenneth Walker. And this is not to like try and scare anybody off of him by any means, but just just giving you the whole background here, the whole picture. It hasn't been an issue for a long time, but he did have basically the Trey Smith thing in in high school, but to an even more heightened degree. Um, Trey Smith, the Chiefs rookie offensive lineman, they got in the sixth round. So he basically was told his high school career, or his football career was done, like point blank period. Had blood clots in his lungs and was told his career was done. Took blood thinners, took a shot a day for three months and was cleared, only missed three games as a senior and clearly like hasn't been a concern since as far as like holding him out. And I've also like when I was a sports reporter back back then, I did a story on an athlete that had this exact same thing that missed a year of college and came back and had their best season of their career as a senior. So like obviously he's been fine since then. It hasn't been an issue, but like just. Just something to, I guess, be aware of if you're thinking about Kenneth Walker. Yeah, and again, I'm sure the NFL is going to do their medicals at the combine on him and probably mm-hmm. got that out of the way. And if he does see a fall, that might be the reason he sees a fall in the draft, I would assume. that that would be, if, if that were an issue, that'd be about the only thing I, I could think of. Maybe the Chiefs will get him in the sixth round if, if people are actually concerned about it at some point. Yeah, don't make me parse the Chiefs backfield in fantasy if we draft someone like that. Okay, Rashad White. Speaking of guys, boy, I did not think we were going to be talking about Rashad White on this podcast when when I was like, okay, let me go look at the established run ranks and pull pull list of guys here. But he's their RB three. Um, I'm going to be point blank. He would not be in my top five running backs if I were doing rankings. I like I have pick eight in our rookie draft. He's not even, I'm not even considering Rashad White at, at pick eight. He's, I think he's probably one of the most uh, ju- purely on field, one of the most controversial prospects of this entire draft because people seem to either really love him or really hate him. He's not a super polished guy uh, as far as a runner. He's got a lot of holes in his game as a runner, um, but he also is a pretty darn good route runner and he's got like the athletic tools that just pass the eye test when you watch him uh he's also going to be 24 right after the regular season ends he's 23 going to be 24 like the week after like the last week of the regular season so he's not he's not as young as these first two guys his best chance for an early impact in my mind is as a receiver it's not as a running back that good agility good acceleration can make plays after the catch they actually at Arizona State lined him up in the slot like pretty frequently, and he made plays out, out of that often. He's got probably the best route tree of any back in this class. So you can at least like if you're a Rashad White fan, what you hope for is like, hey, this guy has the physical tools that if he develops as a runner, the pass catching stuff is already there. Now, what is not there? based on uh, <laughs> Mr. Matt Waldman is the pass blocking and to get on the field and actually be in the backfield as a third down guy, you kind of have to do that in the NFL. So it's really, you know, kind of a catch 22. Are, are the coaches going to 
going to put him on the field as a third down back if he can't block worth a crap, um, which he does not seem to be able to right now. So there's a lot, a lot of variables with Rashad White. Yeah, I mean, like you said, with Rashad Wright, I'm not a huge fan of him because he's not a polished runner. I think he's crept up a lot of people's boards because he has that ability to catch the ball in the backfield. And when I say people's boards, I mean fantasy. I don't think he – he's probably like a fifth-round pick from what I'm I'm looking at on a lot of draft boards. I think, like, uh, I have the athletics ranks pulled up right now. Let me – Look, Rashad White. So they have him as their RB12 and as a fifth-round pick, just to give yeah. you a, a, an idea of the difference between just established the run and, and the athletics regs here. Yeah, and I so I'm going to go ahead and give a little defense of Rashad White so we, we don't just give the negative here. Well, um, I, I, I gave the pass catch. You did. You That's did. clear positive. Well, that really is the 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 singular positive. Um, but he had 16% of the team's targets last year for Arizona State. Um, he was a JUCO transfer. And it's funny because while I was writing this, I was like, what other good pass catching Juco transfers do I know about? Uh, and I mean, he could be Alvin Kamara because that happened. Well, or, but here he could the, be Ty yeah. Montgomery. Well, um, here, here's the thing. He's not just a Juco transfer. This is like the latest of late bloomers. Zero D1 offers out of high school. Went D2 to Nebraska Kearney and redshirted. He redshirted at a D2 school. D2. Transferred to a JUCO called Mount Santonio Community College, which is not in San Antonio. It's in California. Had never heard of that JUCO before in my entire life. Committed to UCLA. UCLA basically backed out of it and was like, eh, no, we actually have other guys we'd rather bring in than you. So he goes to Arizona State. A pretty limited role in 2020, but he breaks out this year. 1,000 yards, rushing, 450 receiving. And so you can take that both ways. You can take that as well. This guy's 24. It's taken him this long to get to this point. Like, maybe that's all he is. Or this guy has literally worked from no D1 offers and having the red shirt at a D2 school to he's going to get drafted. So I believe in the work. I believe he's going to improve. And you know what? We don't know. It could go either way. It's going to be up to the NFL teams to make that call. But that that's the profile we're looking at here. Yeah. Either he's Adam Thielen or every other flame out that <laughs> in the NFL. Um but the, the other positive I will give is I went back and looked his, his community college days and he was a great kick returner or sorry, Juco day. He was a great kick returner, had eight kick return touchdowns in one season there. And uh, even for the Sun Devils, he played striker, which is a very important position for punt units. So if you draft the guy, you want him to get playing time somehow, some way. Mm -hmm. But I think if you draft him with the expectation that he's going to help your team now, that's not likely he's going to be one of those frustrating players who's on the NFL roster, but also is never seeing any playing time like Brandon Bolden for the Patriots. Well, you know, the, the, the Matt Waldman player comp for him was uh Kalen Balazs. So and yeah. Matt Waldman is not a fan of, of Rashad white. So, I mean, if that, that's the exact type of player talking about, like on the roster doesn't get playing time unless the, the starter and maybe even another guy is injured. Yeah. Um, but clearly we're not fans here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, you know, ETR, smart people have them RB3. I see plenty of people that that love Rashad White. I was, I was looking to find highlights of him earlier. Didn't find anything that I liked. There's just a, someone that tweeted just a picture of him hurling somebody. I was like, wow, look at this guy's vertical. So he's got fans. Rashad White's got fans for sure. Yeah. And to be fair, all the ETR blurb says about him is – 
uh, elite receiving threat. So again, <laughs> that that is uh, which maybe... is not wrong compared to this. I think he might be the best, or maybe like probably you can make the argument for like top three. There's a couple of guys later that are decent receivers, and you know nothing else. Yeah, but if you're drafting your rookie draft, you want an elite receiver. Maybe just draft a receiver. Uh, I don't know. Just a thought. Yeah, or just trade like a like a conditional. If you can trade conditional picks in your in your league, trade like a a conditional third for James White. Yeah, exactly. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> or pick him up off waivers. That might be where well, he is too at the moment. Uh, Isaiah Spiller. So the RB four on ETR. I think he's the most common. RB3, but like I said, RB3 is where you start to see some parity as far as ranks go. I think the hype on him has gone the other way, ha- has gone from mostly positive to a lot of negativity after not a, a not the best combine. I think his detractors would say, well, he's not even the best running back on his team, which it, it might not be wrong, and that might not be a knock on him. There's a guy on his team who's going to be a stud coming out in 2023, and it's the reason Spiller was not a workhorse in college. He only had 42% of that backfield's carries, which compared to these other guys, like he didn't even top 200 carries last year. And these other guys, Brees Hall and uh, Kenneth Walker in particular, like shattered that, like we're up the upper 200s. So he wasn't that type of workhorse. He doesn't have great vision as a runner in gap. Let me get this right in gap schemes, but in zone schemes, that is his bread and butter. So this is probably the first guy that you really look at and think, okay, his landing spot is really going to determine how I feel about him. If he is in the right spot and the right system, he's got the footwork. He's got the patience. I think he's got like the athletic chops. Like I think he, I think he kind of falls with, not that he's Dalvin cook, but like it's kind of the Dalvin cook syndrome where it's like, well, the things he does well, like athletically, don't show up on the combine testing, but he is still a very good athlete, good cutter, good good at a lot of things. And I could see him, if he ends up in a great spot for him, having like a Michael Carter kind of, of rookie season. Yeah. Um, I used to not like Isaiah Spiller, and when I was kind of researching for uh, this podcast, I came around to the idea of him his best skills are his patience and his vision, which that really matters for his landing spot. So I think that's going to dramatically alter how I feel about him Mm -hmm. because if you watch any of his plays, he's really good at playing behind the line of scrimmage and then finding the right hole, which is obviously why he works good in zone schemes. He's also the youngest back in this class. We said a lot of old guys, he's going to be 21 when the season starts. So he has time to come around and he was second in the NCAA last year in avoided tackles which is at 24%. And I, I mean, if you know me and Evan, we really try to target those guys last year with Stevenson two years ago. It was, um, I mean, Nick Chubb was another guy, Kareem Hunt. Well, I think, I think, was it, was it, was it broken tackles or missed tackles forced? I don't remember which stat it was, but basically Michael Carter and Javante Williams were like, it was yeah. like Javante one and Michael Carter was maybe two or three. It was like, and, and those guys were not like layup, like top, two or three backs in, in the class last year, but obviously that was a stat that loved both of them. Whichever stat it was, I can't think of it, but loved both yeah. of them last year. Yeah, and I think that's where he's good. I am always skeptical of when a guy's draft position falls because of the combine because 
I mean, the combine doesn't test your – you don't wear pads when you run a 40. You don't wear pads when you do your three cone. I mean, DK fell into the second he round. He ran a four six three forty for anyone who wants to know, like, yeah. specific numbers on, on that, which is not not great. But, again, like, I don't know what Dalvin Cook's 40 was, but that, that was the whole Dalvin Cook thing. And it's like, oh, like, actually, this guy's just a different kind of athlete. He's not just, like, a straight-line sprinter. Yeah. Not, well, not, 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 like, uh, not like some of these guys, I guess. Well, he came out and he even did it again in his pro day and he was bad. And mm -hmm. I mean, pro days usually, you know, they give you something. But before the all-star behind him came around, at AM, his freshman year, he was 24% of their offense. So he still, as a you know, first year in college, he was relatively good. He had 103 yards per game over his entire career. I mean, the guy has all of the the intangibles. And I mean, his pro if it wasn't for his pro day, he would probably be a lot closer to the consensus. I'd, I'm not going to knock him off for that, but I think right now you can get him at a discount in the second round and landing spot dependent. He's probably a good bet to hit on that. I think at least compared to some of the other guys going around that range. It's really funny. I, I have his combine and his pro day stuff in front of me. His arms are measured a half inch shorter at his pro day than at the combine. And his wingspan is almost a full inch longer at his pro day than the combine. I don't understand how exactly that's possible. Like how, like I obviously I know how it's possible. People are fudging the numbers, but it's like, come on guys. Like just like, me, like just straight up measurements. We can't even just get consistent measurements on how long this guy's arms are like, come on. Yeah. Well, and what's funny again, like Evan and I were saying after the top two, this gets really weird. Uh, Dan Brugler, who's at the athletic has Spiller as the 55th overall prospect. And then Daniel Jeremiah has him as the 33rd overall mm -hmm. prospect. I mean, th this is – he's probably one of the sharpest contrasts between a lot of guys. I don't think a lot of draft analysts love Rashad White like um, a lot of fantasy people do. But mm -hmm. when it comes to, like, real draft guys, I think Isaiah Spiller is kind of polarizing. He he is the Athletics RB3. Um, so even though he's, like, 55 or whatever you said, he's still the RB3 um, on, on Bugler's rankings. Okay. Brian Robinson as the RB4, a little bit of a surprise for me as well when I was looking at these rankings. So this is a guy, talk about an oldie. He was at Alabama for five years, was a role player in 2019-20. Before that, he was like firmly buried on the bench. I think when he got there, he was fifth string. And that's not like to say like, man, like this guy couldn't play his fifth string. It's like, no, like he was on the team when like Josh Jacobs was the starter. And I think Damian Harris was still there. It's like, these guys are all pros, obviously, at Alabama that were in front of them. But, like, kind of a rarity in, in this day and age. He waits it out, waits his turn, and it pays off in a big way for him this last season. 1,300 yards, 14 touchdowns. He actually had 35 receptions for about 300 yards this last year, too. If you're looking for another pro, not a lot of wear and tear on the guy. He basically has one year of workhorse work and, and nothing before that. And also, I guess what I'd say about Robinson is if you're looking for, like, the thumper of this class, like, like this is your guy. He's a power back. He can make, like, a cut or two decent enough, but he's a physical downhill runner. 6'1", 225, plays through contact. He might, like, be a okay – like, I think he's going to work his way to an okay fantasy option because he's probably going to be – if he – works his way into a starter or a rotational role like that's probably your goal line back on on whatever team he's on like if he's paired with michael carter 
on the Jets, you could see exactly how that backfield split could and and should work. And Painfully. that and yes, and 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 that would be a, a valuable role if the Jets are anything but terrible at, at some point in, in Robinson's tenure. So he's not a guy that has really that much upside to me. I think it's pretty clear kind of what he is and what he's going to be, but I think he's going to be a solid player. He's reliable. Like I said, just a good between the tacklers guy. He's physical, only two career fumbles. None of those came in 2021 when he was actually the lead guy either. So I just think this is like a solid second round pick. If you're looking for a little bit of running back depth on your team. Yeah. Well, and when I looked at him and I kind of read about Brian Robinson, if this was the NFL 10 years ago, he might be the overall like number two prospect behind Walker because mm-hmm. he fits that old. We just want to get in third manageable coach mindset where he's going to get you a good four and five yards, but he's not explosive enough to have those big runs. Oh, it's, and there's still going to be coaches who want him on the field plenty. Um, absolutely. If, if he goes to, to certain places, you know. So. Well, that's how Jordan Howard made an NFL career. Yes. And um, I think Robinson's probably a better player than Jordan Howard. Yes. But I do think he's going to be the guy you draft and hope that he has a, you know, really strong goal line presence for his team. A, you know, a James Cook is probably – or James Connor. sorry, mm-hmm. I'm on draft mode, uh, <laughs> is somebody I would probably comp him close to in, like, his high upside. I, I'm not discounting him for playing behind these guys for five years because Damian Harris, who's a great NFL talent, also sat behind a lot of very good players for several years. Yeah, if you if you go to Bama as a true freshman running back, you are most likely going to sit for at least a year. But, again, he's like Josh Jacobs um, – all of these guys, it's just, I'd have to pull up the whole Alabama running back tree from the last handful of years, but everyone knows every year there's a Bama running back in the NFL, a new one. Yeah. Now, if you do get him, just know <laughs> he's not a guy that's going to get you plays in the secondary. He's not going to make guys miss. He's going to hit them head on. He's going to get another two yards and fall forward. He's just, that's where he lacks as a, as a prospect, I would say. And maybe he can get better at the second level, but I don't really see that happening. And he definitely can catch the ball, though, and get you some, you know, easy and cheesy PPR points. And here's the thing about him. Um, People smarter than me say he is actually, I wouldn't say good. I I wouldn't say they say good, but like above average, which for this running back class is like the best. He's one of the best pass blockers in this class. So he's going to be a guy that like. Like, remember how Spencer Ware was, like, weirdly on the field all the time for the Chiefs and third downs? Like, he could kind of be that depending on the team he goes to in their running back situation. And it's funny you brought up James Conner. I wrote in my notes, like, a best-case scenario, he kind of reminds me of Chris Carson minus the fumbling issues. Like, that, <laughs> that's kind of the, the profile. Like, he doesn't have – like, he's not, he's not ever going to be a star, but, like, if he – if he hits, like, I think he can be a pretty solid contributor. Yeah, I think that's another good comparison. I, you know, he's going to do his work on the ground and he's never going to wow anybody who watches him. But sometimes those guys who don't do anything extra special are the ones that catches the coach's attention because they just get the work done. Mm-hmm. Also, I lied. That was the RB5. I think it's the RB4 because I'm so used to Spiller being the RB3 most places I look. But, yeah, that rounds out the running backs. Dalton, any, any final thoughts on, on these top five backs before we jump into – they're the receivers, which that, that's going to be difficult to, to parse those guys. Uh, no, I'm way more excited for the receivers if we're being completely honest. Um, 
I've done a lot more research into the receivers too, because I think this class has some really interesting prospects compared to I think the running back gets really flat really quick and they're not as fun to, to read mm-hmm. into. Me too, as somebody who has the, the eighth pick in the draft, who's probably not getting any of the top two running backs that I would really like at that pick. It's been a lot more receiver centric for me before this podcast as well. And where we can start is, you know what? He's not falling the eight in our draft. So I'm going to come out and say it like Drake London has been my guy for months like you guys know even during the college football season i was like hey this is the guy i want on the chiefs next year like after he'd broken his ankle and was out for the season 6'3 219 pounds everybody is going to say mike evans which you know hand up hand up that's what i said too 85 90 percent of mike evans is what you hope he can be he's a basketball player who played a bit in college extensively on the aau circuit his leaping skills, he's a natural high point guy who wins like every contested catch. T. Higgins, I think, is another pretty solid comp um, for him as far as that goes. Here's a little trivia time for you, Dalton. He's one of only five Power 5 players to average 11 catches a game through at least eight games. He only played eight games this year, and it was exactly 11 catches a game. Can you name the other one? I'll even give you the conference and... I'll give you the year. I really want to say Justin Blackman. No, but right conference, Big 12 oh. and 2007, which everyone knows was the best year in college football history. Oh, I don't know the answer to that. I didn't watch enough football in 2007 to give you the answer, but I Johnny, can't Justin any, Blackman. Any guesses? This guy, think about it. This guy's like, when you think of Big 12 college receivers, this guy is like probably the elite of the elite in college, not in the NFL, although he was pretty good in the NFL. Well, Justin Blackman was the elite of the elite. Mm, Johnny, any guesses? Is it Dez? Not Dez. You guys are really zeroed in on Oklahoma State here. Michael Crabtree, 2007. Oh, my oh, God. Right. So, as I mentioned, uh, Drake London's season was cut short due to the injury. Eight games, 88 receptions, 1,084 yards, and seven touchdowns, which is like that's a full season for a lot of these other guys we're looking at. And he did that in eight games. The one concern you maybe have is the drops. He had eight drops his last year. He kind of secures catches away from his body a little bit when he, when he doesn't have to, I think. But also he, whether by his own volition or as maybe we'll talk about his quarterback's volition of being just straight dog water, has to go up for contested catches all the time. You're going to have more drops in those situations than if you're open all the time like some of these other guys. That's just not really his type. He's got pretty good yards after the catch skills, Dalton, even for a guy that's 6'3", 219. I'm going to pull up this highlight um, from him if you want to start your Drake London monologue. Well, and I was going to say that's one of the reasons I have an issue with the Mike Evans comp is mm-hmm. uh, he's a better tackle maker than Mike Evans. Now, he's not a get up and get the ball like Mike Evans is. As well. I don't know. He's pretty close to a get he's up close, and get the ball like Mike Evans. But he's definitely a a tackle breaker after the catch, too. Right now, it's funny because we mentioned this earlier. He was one of the guys who had, like, he was the overall consensus. One Look at this. Receiver. This is what the FBI does not want you to see. <laughs> Look, I mean, he's running like a running back right now. He's <laughs> absurd. And that's, that's like, uh, that's what everyone's, that's the Traylon Burks thing. But it's like, oh, like, if he could do that, like, a little bit like Traylon Burks, but also he's better at everything else than Traylon Burks. Like, my God. Yeah, well, and that's the exciting thing. It's funny that he's falling in draft right now because he refused to run a 40 um, yep. at his pro day. 
Uh, but he had a 31.8% dominant rating as a 20-year-old at USC in only eight games. That means he accounted for 32% of his team's offense. And his yards per route run was 2.32. And he had 23% of his plays were explosive on a grading scale. Mm-hmm. This guy, he really does match everything. The big concern is that I went to Matt Harmon and looked, and on some of the NFL staple routes, he failed to register uh, top six yards per route run mm-hmm. in, in this class. But his quarterback play out of everybody except for probably Traylon Burks out of the top five, um, it was so abysmal that you can kind of understand it. I watched a three-minute montage yeah. of Drake London coming back to the catch multiple times. There, there, there's, one specific, there's one specifically where he has a guy be on, on a vertical route and he has to come back to it, and he would have scored a touchdown on a good throw. Instead, he makes the catch, a contested catch, and just gets absolutely lit up. You can see why the guy perhaps uh, broke his ankle at some point during the season. He was taking a lot of hits, and again, it's not like he he's not a separator, but I don't think this is like an Alshon Jeffrey where it's like, my God, this guy, good player, but like, man, he's blanketed. Every, he can't get open at all. Like, I think he's better than that. I think he'll be able to get open better than like that type of guy. But he's not going to be like the Jamison Williams, Chris Olave, like get open all the time. But he's got the other attributes where he doesn't have to be. Yeah, well, and there is an Alshon Jeffrey in this draft class, and we'll get to him here in a bit. Um, the other thing, and it, we're just going to hear about this nonstop, but I can't wait for every Sunday to hear Drake London play basketball when he catches a red zone target and scores a touchdown. Yes. Um, but I'm pretty – pretty happy. I hope he lands in an environment with a good quarterback. And obviously you say that about every wide receiver, but him especially because these guys who go up and catch contested 50-50 balls need a guy like Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, or Russell Wilson to really elevate their value as opposed to somebody like Jamison Williams who you just watch him streak down the field and it's a lot easier for their quarterback to recognize that they're open. But I will say the, the difference between him and like a, like a Kenny Galladay is that he was in the slot his first couple of years and then moved outside this last year. Like he kind of played all over the place. And I think like even on that bubble screen that I showed where he broke some tackles, like he can do some more of that stuff. I, I think than people might realize when they just hear Mike Evans, when, when you talk about, when you talk about London, I think he's going to be a starter wherever he goes. I think he is the safest bet of any prospect in this entire class to be good. That's my take. I have a different prospect, but we'll get that. We won't get to that prospect. My prospect, <laughs> uh, Chris Olave is the guy that I think is the most sure thing. Mm. Um, he's, 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 right, he's right up there too, for sure. Yeah, but unfortunately he's not on this list. Um, yeah. But we can move on uh, to a guy who I have some fun facts about. He's trailing Burks out of Arkansas. Yep. Massive man. He's 6'3, 225. But the reason why you need to draft Traylon Burks is he hunts hogs with a knife and his dogs. He doesn't use a gun. He, so if you think this man is scared of NFL DBs, he's absolutely going to tear it up it, it, from that perspective. But in all reality, I think that this guy's probably the biggest project in the in going in the first round right now. Mm-hmm. Um he his comps are Debo Samuel, LaVisca Schnault, and Alshon Jeffrey, in my mind. Those are like his three potential outcomes. And the what got him the hype, and he was a consensus overall one like three weeks ago, 
was that he can break tackles, but you don't want that in a wide receiver like you do a running back. You want a guy who can do things with their hands and catch the ball effectively. And career-wise, all of his targets have come within the 10 yards, except for 18% came past 10 yards. It's just not very exciting for me. He's going to definitely be a project when it comes to his positioning, where he places his feet, and his contested catch radius in my opinion yeah 45 of his 66 catches in college came within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage and then the ones that didn't they weren't really the intermediate like crossers and stuff over the middle of the field it was this he's he's also really good at, at the vertical stuff he can go up and get it and he can win the deep routes and then this is him obviously on the bubble <laughs> screen like that's where he's at his best when they just get him the ball and, and let him go like you're gonna hear people say aj brown with this guy and like when when they see these plays and, and that's why, but he's not as complete of a receiver as AJ Brown, like point blank. He can get knocked off his routes pretty easy. He's not a very good route runner right now. They used a lot of pre-snap motion or like plays like that, just little bubble screens, tunnel screens to basically avoid having him face any press coverage this last year at Arkansas. I think he's probably dynamic enough with the ball in his hands and as a vertical guy that, to make teams interested in him, like in the first round, I think he's going to be a first round pick, but I think he, I think there's a lot more that has to go right outside of his control unless he gets a lot better in other areas because everyone's going to want him to be the next Debo Samuel. But like we didn't have a Debo Samuel Intel this year. It's not exactly an easy thing to have a receiver. Who's also your running back essentially. Well, before that, it was Cornell Patterson who it took him 10 years to get to that in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, maybe like Percy Harvin is another guy you might be able to go back and compare him to even. But it's just he really needs to land with a coach who can utilize his skills effectively. And we saw what happens when that doesn't happen with LaVisca Schnault, where he's being used improperly with his good routes. I mean, Traylon Burks is like the prototypical big slot guy, mm -hmm. and that is where he needs to land on a team. Uh, and I am always scared when someone compares a there's only one Debo Samuel in the NFL then says this is the next Debo Samuel. <laughs> there's only one in the NFL for a reason, and as we've talked about on this podcast, Debo also gets a lot of rushes out of the backfield, which I don't think many teams are going to give Burks straight out of the gate. Yeah, yeah, although he definitely, like, has the size. Uh, did you did you read off his, his height and weight? Dalton He's 6'3", 225. Yes. I will say a lot of the scouts I read says he could probably be a little slimmer. I think well, they're calling and, him fat. I yeah, don't know and for sure. I think Brett Coleman actually pretty much came out and said he's straight up out of shape at a lot of his yeah. pre-draft stuff. So that's that's also uh, a concern too that he he showed up to, you know, probably the most important workouts of his life so far, not in shape, and yeah. he didn't have like an he. It wasn't like a, um, a, a Justin Ross or even like a, a, a George Pickens, but more like Ross. Like it wasn't a situation like that where it's like, oh, this guy has been hurt the last three months and been nursing an injury and is like just barely back to running like no he he hasn't had like a, he didn't have surgery anything that he's just coming back from he just wasn't in shape yeah and my biggest concern with Traylon Burks and I'll say this now is that he goes to Green Bay uh which you would think would be a great thing for any receiver but this guy does not run his routes correctly with the probably the touchiest quarterback when it comes to his guys running routes correctly that I would be incredibly concerned as a fantasy owner for that to play out. I mean, it took Devontae Adams like three years to get Rodgers' trust, and he's a much more polished route runner. Maybe he wasn't coming into the NFL, but I think that's Traylon Burke's biggest weakness in his game right now 
and him going to a team that historically will bear you on the depth chart if you don't have the rapport with their quarterback just just worries me a lot. What worries me with him isn't even necessarily well, he he worries me, but <laughs> what I'm what I'm worried about is what are the two most common destinations you've seen for him in mock drafts? Because the two that I've seen are the Chargers and the Cowboys. I've seen the Eagles and the Cowboys, and it feels like the Eagles are just getting Jalen Rager 2.0 with him. <laughs> well, and with the Cowboys, it's like, well, okay, this is a slot guy. What do I want C.E. Land to do? I want him to run from everywhere. I would not like Traylon Burks there um, taking up the, the slot time that I want C.E. Land to get. But it's Jerry Jones. It's Arkansas. It's a first-round pick. That seems like that's at least a decent chance of happening. We're going to do props next week. I wonder what the prop is for Burks just straight up to the Cowboys. <laughs> that, oh. might be, that might be on the list. And then with the Chargers, it's like, well, they already have Keenan Allen, like one of the best slot guys in the NFL. They have Mike Williams like on the outside, so it's not like they don't have an outside guy, but and Josh Palmer. <laughs> and Josh Palmer, sure. So there's enough overlap there where it's just like, eh, I don't I I don't know. And even like you look further down, like the Chiefs, like, well, the Chiefs have Juju, and Juju is just like a more polished, better version of Burks right now. Burks yeah. might have more upside than Juju at this point, but like I like I don't see that fit either. So a fit is gonna be a real big like he's gotta go to a team that he can have free reign of of the slot basically it's yeah kind of like Kadarius tony last year where he did not go to a good spot where it's like he needs to go to a spot where the coach is like innovative and willing to take chances and try new things with 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 play calls and stuff and uh that's not what happened with tony last year and it was really cool for like two games and really bad otherwise yeah well it always worries me when like you ask someone what this guy's best trade is compared to the class and they say broken tackles and a wide receiver, I mean, you don't break tackles at wide receiver. You catch the ball when you're open. And you, I mean, after the catch, he might break a few. But for the most part, I don't like that being his top trade. I prefer that for a guy who has to take contact like a running back, not mm-hmm. a guy who should be open when he catches the ball and run out of bounds. The last thing on Burks is his trajectory to me has been so interesting because if you followed dynasty stuff during the season, people looking at prospects for this draft – like Burks was like the 1.01 or at worst 1.02. And I still feel like he's pretty high on dy- He's more highly thought of by people who are just thinking from a dynasty perspective than real life NFL draft perspective. I'm just very curious to see how, how that all works out in the end. Yeah. Well, and Burks has the best quote dominator rating of this wide receiver class. And I think people are overweighting that and not looking at how he got those touches and those yards and then expecting it to one-to-one translate. LaVisca Schnault was also the best dominator rating in his class. And I still love him, but I've also lost a lot of money on DraftKings to the guys. So, I mean, it goes both ways. <laughs> All right. Another guy who has pretty consistently been one of the three or four guys I've seen as the top receiver. Um, and I don't think I've seen him any lower than like three or four. He's been one that's been pretty firm in the top three. It's not been like, I, I have not seen hard. I don't have, have you seen anyone have Garrett Wilson outside of the top five? No, I've seen him going first to the Falcons in a lot of mocks. Yeah. Too. Yeah. So Garrett Wilson, um, 70 receptions, a little over a thousand fifty yards and 12 touchdowns last year. He's 5'11, 183. I don't know if you ever look at the ringers draft guides. I, I do sometimes just because the, the player comps are funny because they'll take like it. They do this thing where it's like shades of 
and they'll like combine two things. And his was Odell Beckham on Red Bull. Oh my God. That's a good one. Uh, he has elite body control and ball skills, explosive release, his short area burst to create separation in tight spaces, sets up his cuts well, like all that. Yeah, that does sound like Odell Beckham a little bit for sure. A 62% win rate in contested catch situations. He's physical with the ball in the air. He was a slot guy in 2020, outside in 2021. So he's done both, but he's undersized. He probably could be more consistent in his route running and a little bit like Odell at times. It's like, how is this guy who can make these great catches? If you remember, if you just look up Garrett Wilson, uh, remember back to his freshman year, he made like the catch of the year against Clemson in the national championship game. But that same guy will have like frustrating drops that you're just like, how is this guy capable of both of these things? But that's kind of the Garrett Wilson experience. Yeah, and out of everybody in the draft, I think he ranks as the most well-rounded. He's great, but not amazing at any one thing. I think the one area that he probably almost wins out on is his speed, but Jameson Williams is still faster. Unfortunately, we don't have that comp because he didn't run at the combine for obvious I, I, reasons. I, I, I would say where he wins is his like suddenness and, and things of that nature as a route runner, and that is why I brought up this play. Like, okay, we're on the one-yard line. It should not be easy to get separation like this on the one yard line. Like that, that's just dumb how stupid he just made that quarterback look. Well, it is the scum of the Big Ten of Maryland. Uh, speaking hey, of it's Maryland, still, it's still Big Ten. I think his best comp is Stefan Diggs. Like we've mentioned, it's his route running that's really done him well. And he he did win on both levels with the in college. He won inside, he won outside. Mm-hmm. And in this class, he ranks second in explosive target rate, which means he's most likely to kind of not house them, but take a catch for 10 plus yards, which is really good considering Traylon Burks and Drake London were both in that same area. Uh, I, I, out of all of them, except for Traylon Burks, obviously I don't like him. Garrett Wilson's the one that I just feel like he's going to have a really good NFL career, but he's never going to have the great games. And I just can't get myself excited for him as much as some of the other guys in this draft at least among the top four, uh, just take out Traylon Burks and add Olave in that. Uh, he He's the one that kind of least gets me excited. Um, and I'm also just worried that if he ends up somewhere like Atlanta, he's going to be in a QB purgatory for a, a, a while. So the the like best case scenario that I've seen others say for him is C.D. Lamb. And he does have that kind of that burst like I just showed there. And in, in those short areas, he, he can he's really sudden, can make guys miss. He – what he kind of strikes me as the type of guy where he all of a sudden in the NFL isn't going to be able to quite do the things he could in college, make guys miss the way he could. And he might struggle to adjust. And like, what I mean by that is like, he doesn't always make like the best decisions in the open field, but it doesn't really matter in college because he's so much better. And like, he does have, the ability of CD Lamb to make guys miss, get get yards after the catch, things like that, and just be crazy hard to tackle because he's so elusive. But he could also like lose five yards because he runs backwards, and, and he, he kind of has a little bit of that, a little bit of the Marcus Robinson. Oh him. God, <laughs> not, maybe that's not, why I don't like him. Not that bad, but I, I think that's just kind, that's just kind of my vibe when I when I read others. Um, talk about him and watch uh, a little bit of his highlights, not just the good plays, but just highlights uh, of him myself is that he, 
he kind of seems like the guy that when he jumps up a level, it might be a little bit of an adjustment period. Like he can't make all the same plays because he's not by far the best athlete on the field anymore. Yeah. Well, I know Matt Harmon at reception perception also said out of his tops, top eight guys he evaluated in this class, Garrett Wilson struggled the most in press coverages, mm -hmm. which is kind of a concerning thing because the DBs in the NFL are going to be much more aggressive in their press coverages. Uh, so you hope he, he can work on that in his game. Mm -hmm. I agree. And you mentioned Olave. I think he makes the the flashier plays. Um, oh, Eli, I'm just not looking at the chat. Eli says he knew it was Michael Crabtree on the trivia question. Shout out, Eli. Yeah, see if he does it live. <laughs> it's a little bit different being put on the spot, I will say. I will say. Um, but yeah, with I, I think he makes the flashier plays than Olave. But if I have the bet on one, Olave is the safer bet of the two, certainly. And both yeah. of them a little undersized. Yeah, it's funny. Me and Evan were both excited not to mention Olave, so no one knew we loved him, and he's come up in this podcast like 12 times. Well, we li I, I like him, but, you know, he's not my favorite. He might not even be my second favorite. Uh, might not even be my third favorite. I don't know. But he's he's definitely, like, in my top five receivers if I had the rank. Yeah, definitely. Now, speaking of receivers, I would love to rank and my overall number one guy in this class. Speaking of receivers, I can't even beat out Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. Let's go to Jamison Williams. <laughs> what a horrible narrative. Uh, <laughs> God forbid a guy transfers and does well and gets punished for it. Uh, first of all, just extraordinary. In his career at Alabama, which was one year, Jamison Williams had 94 catches and 18 touchdowns, which is an absurd touchdown rate. Then he had two kick returns as a special teamer. Uh, those two things really stand out to me because – Well, he set the Alabama single-season record and led the FBS with four touchdowns of 70 or more yards last season to give you an idea of what kind of explosive player we're talking about here. Yeah, I mean, absolutely the most explosive player in this class. Um Against the best defense in the nation, Georgia, he went 784 and two touchdowns. And I just – he is by far the best separator out of everybody in this draft class. And I think if he hadn't torn his ACL, he would have been a lot closer, if not the consensus one amongst guys. And he's still creeping up with that, and he's yeah, not going to play until November. I, I think he'd be top two for sure. Yeah, it would be him in London, I would think. So here you're talking about separator. This is against Georgia. Goodbye. Double move. Touchdown. I mean, pretty, he's... pretty good. I mean, people throughout the Deshaun Jackson comp, he's he's not Tyree Kill and he's not Jalen Waddle. But like if there were a Jalen Waddle type in this class, it would be Jamison Williams. The, the difference, and I, I was reading Seth Kaiser, um, a Chiefs guy do a scouting report on Jamison Williams today. The biggest difference just talking about their speed is that Jamison Williams, the one negative, he's not as good of a stop and go like accelerator, like out of his break type of guy, as you would think, like still really good. But like, we've talked about this before. Like when we talk about Tyree kill compared to other fast guys, like that's the difference. So like, yeah, he's not quite that type. So he's not quite the, 0.1%, but he's the 1% as far as speed and, and those attributes go. Yeah, and I think he, he's not just a straight line runner, too. A lot of his highlights, he's taken slants, you know, 50 yards. He, he, can, he can flip the field horizontally and vertically, which is a nice skill to have. 
Absolutely. And the NFL is starting to catch on that you want explosive passing plays. And I think out of everybody, except for maybe Burks, but we've talked about our issues with him. He's the most explosive guy in this class. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think he is the most explosive guy in this class, even more so than Burks. Yeah. And even if somehow, some way he comes to the NFL and he's not an immediate starter in November when he's healthy, he is an immediate kick returner and punt returner. And that's usually those guys work their way onto the starting lineup nine times out of 10. I I think he's going to be an immediate producer. What sucks is he's probably going to take some high draft capital to get, and you're not going to get anything out of him this year. Yeah. What I was going to say is it really, it's a really tough pill to swallow if you were bad last year and you want like, and if he goes to the chiefs or the Packers or I don't know, the chargers, some place where it's like, yeah, he's going to be a top four pick in rookie drafts. Mm-hmm. That's a real tough pill to swallow unless you trade up for a pick like you did with a good team. If you're a bad team, like you're not going to have that guy until October, November. And how many examples have we seen of a guy just not quite the same the first year back and the second year back from the ACL is, is where he really looks more like himself again. Like I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but like when people say it's going to be a red shirt year for him, like that's kind of, that's the precedent that that they're working with and like we have the dalvin cook year where where he where he did that i'll be interested to see some of the acl like like chris goblin coming back if he's because they tore their acls about the exact same time actually that thing with williams is like he didn't he didn't tear it during the college football season it was in the title game so it was basically during the nfl playoffs like right before the nfl playoffs so he's he's not looking at he's not going to be there for any any preseason stuff going full speed i wouldn't I wouldn't think so yeah. if you're taking a real long-term look and you think the 2023 draft is going to be really good, which a lot of people do, but that's a little bit dangerous to do um, look ahead at drafts and project how good you think they're going to be. But if you do think that you'd be like, Hey, I'm going to take this guy. He's not going to play half the year. He's not going to contribute that much after that possibly. And I'm going to suck again. And then I'm going to get good really quick. Like I can see someone who's patient taking that outlook with their team. Cause I, I do think he's one of my, He's one of my favorite prospects for sure, for all the reasons that you mentioned. He he can flip the field horizontally and vertically. He's not just a burner; can actually like run routes pretty well. He tracks the ball well on on deep stuff. Um, but he's a smaller guy. He's had some issues with focus drops in his career, and even if he comes back at only eighty five to ninety percent of what he was instead of one hundred percent of what he was, like not just next year, but like period, like. That's where the downside actually does exist because he doesn't have, like, if you take away the burst, he doesn't have the size to to back that up necessarily. So there, there is. I think there's a. He may be the the biggest risk reward guy of anybody we've talked about today. I think might be Burks, but I'd say the downside on Burks. Is I, I I I think the upside here for me is, is higher, but that's because I'm not a fan of Burks. But I can see yeah. why others who are fans of Burks would would say that. What I will say, I, I know everybody thinks like an ACL surgery is cut and dry, but I don't know if anybody read the report about Odell Beckham's first ACL surgery actually kind of set him back mm-hmm. as an athlete, and they think that the second one he had is setting him forward. What I will say is that Jameson Williams is still climbing draft boards after the combine, which means his medicals did clear. I'm assuming a lot of teams took a look at the ACL, and from what I've read, I'm not a doctor surprise i know (laughs) from what i've read this is enough time for them to get a clear look at whether or not that knee is structurally going to be fine and it looks like 
just because he's flying up the boards again that I mm-hmm. think he's going to come away from it okay, um, which is what you you need and want um, because he's so explosive. He needs that ACL. God forbid he doesn't have an ACL. Yeah, that, that'd not be great. <laughs> not be great for him not to have the ACL. All right, Dalton, our last guy here. Again, a little bit of a surprise to me that he was fifth. I know there are a lot of like real NFL draft people who are big fans of Sky Moore, though. Sky Moore, 5'9", ninety-five. So, again, another undersized guy. He's a guy that I think a lot of people just project him as a slot guy. He's a balanced route runner. He can do like the stutter step thing to, to beat guys on the inside. He can beat press coverage some that way. I actually think he might need to, because he's not like the athlete that Williams is. I think he's going to have to develop more ways than that to, to beat press coverage, to really be like a difference maker. But this is a guy who produced big time in college, almost a hundred catches, 1300 yards and 10 touchdowns at I believe Western Michigan. Yeah. Western Michigan last season. Here's the kind of weird thing about Sky Moore. Do you know he has the biggest hands of any receiver in this draft class at 5'9", 195? That is incredibly weird. I did not know that. He has 10 and 1 fourth inch hands. Second place is Christian Watson at 10 and 1 eighth, who Christian Watson's like 6'5", 200 yeah. and some pounds. Like this, this guy is basically my height and has the biggest hands in the draft. Kenny Pickett is upset. <laughs> His hands are probably like two inches bigger than Kenny Pickett. You could probably put two of Donald Trump's hands in Skyboard's hands. Oh, my God. Um, this, first of all, so surprised, established the run, which is an organization I respect a ton, has him in the top five. First, I loved Sky Moore two months ago. And then since February, he's jumped 51%, 57 spots in mock drafts. Not, not, rookie drafts for fantasy mm-hmm. in real mock drafts. He's absolutely skyrocketed. He had a 28% dominant rating and a 22.92 uh, yards per route run. So he does have some exciting things. I just think he's really tiny and doesn't have like a high level production. He went two for 22 against Michigan, which mm-hmm. is really the only team he played. And I'm not trying to harp on one game, but that, and he got out produced by a guy who's in the NFL now, who's not very good. In D. Eskridge, they played together last year. And in their five games together, Moore had 388 yards and three touchdowns. And Eskridge had 556 yards and five touchdowns. I just, I don't really know if there's a lot there other than that this is a good scheme. Like we saw last year with Eskridge where he fit in so well that he just looked good on tape. But in reality, he's just not that good. Well, here we go. You, you can see a guy who can win on multiple levels. Here, Here's like the stutter step stuff I was talking about. Just leaves the guy in the dust on uh, on the press coverage. And that's playing Pittsburgh, so that's not like playing a, a terrible team by, by any means. And he's actually – I think he's a pretty good deep ball tracker. That's the thing I'll say about him. That's obviously wide open. But I do think he has some upside as like a, as a vertical threat guy if he can, you know, ha- has the burners to actually get by people. I will say, and they're showing a lot of highlights in this clip for those not watching from the Western Michigan Northern Illinois game. When I was looking at this guy in February, watch the entire game because he goes off. Yeah, and it he, is he murdered insane. Um, no, he's definitely an exciting prospect. I just don't think he's worth a top five pick in fantasy drafts right now, which I was looking at him like in the late second, early third initially. And it just seems like he's really starting to command a bigger 
and bigger investment. And I just think he's a little more raw than some of the guys underneath him. I I think the question with him is whether two questions, whether or not he can actually, you know, what is there anything there that leads you to believe he can be anything more than a slot guy? I think the people that love him say yes, that he can win on all three levels. He's a good deep ball tracker, um, yada, yada. I think the people that say no are going to look at, in college, 85% of his targets came within 20 yards of the line of scrimmage. And then the NFL, he's obviously undersized. One thing he does have going for him, I mentioned the huge hands. Like if you're not getting open, um, not not getting open by like a ton, you know, biggest hands in the draft can reach up and, and snatch the ball like kind of like quickly in those quick windows. He's got a wider catch radius for a guy his size and his wingspan. Like his wingspan is – John Mechie actually has a really short wingspan. His wingspan is basically the same as – oh, my God. You know, Wayne, Wayne Dell Robinson's wingspan is 67 and 5 eighths inches. He's the only guy below seven. He is a tiny individual. Very tiny. But He's the only guy below 70 on the top 20 of the athletic. But Robinson – also is one of only seven wide receivers to have 1300 yards in sec history in the last oh, i know years. i know but that my god that just like i was looking at wingspan like comps like john mechie is the closest for for sky Moore, 67 and three and mechie's another guy is probably gonna end up in the slot so yes it's funny and i was gonna say this at the top but when i'm researching this draft the number of players people say he'll be great if he ends up in the slot is too damn high because yep. Even Drake London and Traylon Burks, people are like, big slot guy, huge slot guy. Love to see him in the slot. It's like, yeah, see, I, I think London actually, like, he can play a slot, but I think he can be your ex if you. Me too. It's just, it's funny how many guys, I think that's just the easiest wide receiver position to pronounce instead of the X or yeah. Y, where you have to explain what those are or flanker, um, that everybody just says slots, what they want to be. Yeah. So I, I think with Moore, since I think he is going to be a slot guy, I think it's really going to depend on where he lands. Like, if he lands on a team that uses their slot guy frequently, like, okay, if he's getting good volume and he's like actually getting playing time, like, yeah, I could totally see him having a productive uh, couple of years. But if he lands somewhere where that, where the team just, they, they don't really look at the slot guy as much as a lot of others, then I think he's going to be a big time volume play. Cause I don't think he's got like that. I don't think he's like an elite talent. That, that's that's going to just command volume because he exists on on a team like some of these other guys above him could be like would i pick him in the first round no if he's there in the second round and i'm looking for some solid receiver depth and a guy that i can picture is my wide receiver three in like two years like a, a solid three four on my team then yeah i'll take that in the second round yeah and I'm really struggling not to comp them to Cole Beasley and Hunter Renfro, um, but those comps fit really well, it, including the, like the advanced statistics behind the guys, like separation rate, how often they get open, where their targets come from. He fits Hunter Renfro's profile really well, and they're also undersized. Uh, I don't think he's as good of a route runner as Renfro, but that's kind of the upside you're shooting for, where it takes some things to fall their way for them to have like a top 20 season. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, last thing before we get out of here, if you're just looking and deciding between running back and receiver, even after like the top couple of guys, like if you're in the mid first round and obviously later, later on, it's different because there's some other guys, but none of the guys we talked about today are even 22 years old yet. 
I, I guess Burks is. Burks is barely 22. All the others are still under 22, and a lot of those tough guys are like 21, 21, 20. London's not even 21 yet. Um, so just something to keep in mind. Running backs have a longer or a shorter shelf life in real football and obviously in Dynasty anyway. And so if you're looking for a tiebreaker, can't decide between positions, not a bad idea to take a receiver who's 21 over a running back who, who's 23, like later in your first round. Yeah, and I'll also say I think after my top four wide receivers, this wide receiver class gets flipped pretty flat for a while. Mm-hmm. And same with running backs. But I think the running back class has a lot that like a lot of guys are in tier two, like probably nine or ten. I think the tier two for the wide receivers is only probably like four or five. I think so you can get some pretty solid running backs in the third round. Me now too. I could be totally wrong on that, but right now that's what I think. Yeah, <laughs> obviously landing spot dependent, yada yada yada. But just from a skill standpoint, there are a lot of guys in the running back category that you can get in round three that look a lot like second round picks right now. Mm-hmm. I agree. And that is going to do it for us today on episode 67 of the Half Point for Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at Half Point for Pod. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. We will be back next week, like I mentioned earlier, with a quick uh, props show um, talking about different different bets that we would theoretically make um, on NFL Draft Night. And then we will be back just like last year on NFL Draft Night live on YouTube. I don't think we're going to start pick one this time. I think we've decided maybe like pick 10. We might have like a quarterback and a receiver go by then. Maybe just a receiver. Maybe nobody. I don't know. But if we have any single guys go, we'll talk about them right when we get on. And then we'll be there for the rest of the first round as well. But until then, thank you guys so much for listening. And we will talk to you multiple times next week.